From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Outside of a pandemic, nursing is a tough job. In a pandemic, it's become a pathway to burnout. And that's not just in hospitals, but in long-term care facilities and schools. Today, insight from a nurse on the front lines who happens to be the incoming president of Colorado's Nursing Association. She also teaches. The group's executive director joins us as well to share her search for solutions. Then, after hearing our story about the first black graduate of the CU Medical School, a listener has her own recollections of Dr. Charles Blackwood and the trail he blazed outside the hospital. This is a time when very few blacks lived east of York Street. Plus, an artist whose canvas is garage doors. The public radio business model requires community participation. Over half of Colorado Public Radio's funding comes from voluntary individual donations. When you support CPR, you help make it all possible. This drive, there are several new and updated thank you gifts to choose from, including member-only socks, aptly decorated with little radios. Yours with a gift of $10 a month or more. Supplies are limited. Claim yours with your gift now at CPR.org. And thank you for making membership a priority. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Nurses are the backbone of a hospital, and nurses say the pandemic has led to a staffing crisis. It means the level of patient care just can't be the same, and the nurses who remain risk burning out. A discussion we'll have with the incoming president of the Colorado Nurses Association, Laura Rosenthal, who's a nurse in Metro Denver. Hi, Laura. Hello. Good morning. And the association's executive director, Colleen Casper, joins us, also a nurse. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you for um, having us this morning. Laura, what needs do you worry are going unmet among patients because of the nursing shortage? I think there's uh, a lot of needs, both psychological um, and physical, um, for for patients that go uncared for um, because nurses are trying to do their best, um, but with the amount of, of work that they've been given at this point, it just can't be feasible in the amount of time that they're allotted. So, for example, things like maybe a dressing change that's scheduled. Uh, potentially oral care. And you think that maybe oral care wouldn't be a big deal, but we also know that in patients that are on ventilators, um, oral care actually helps prevent ventilator-associated pneumonia. So if those little things go undone um, because they're trying to prioritize other activities, um, patients can suffer. Okay, dressing changes you said might be delayed. When you say oral care, you mean nurses helping brush patients' teeth? Is that what I gather that means? Absolutely. Um, And again, especially patients on ventilators. If they are on a breathing machine or a ventilator, um, they are often sedated um, and are not able to, to care for themselves. And so something as simple as of brushing somebody's teeth, or maybe even um, putting Vaseline on somebody's lips um, is is left to, to nurses to do. Colleen, obviously a lot of the shortage has to do with COVID-19, the pressure, the circumstances. Uh, can you explain how exactly the pandemic has affected the, the staffing situation, the number of available nurses? 
Sure. Nurse staffing has a long history of uh, cycles of up and down. And the prolonged uh, surges of very sick patients um, coming into the emergency department, filling up our ICU beds, um, really has taken a toll on the staff to the point that many in a ANA, the American Nurse Association survey in January and February of this year indicated that 53% of Colorado nurses plan to resign or retire because of the emotional and physical toll of having to care for such ill patients many times without family being able to be there and most of the time at, at far higher ratios than they're comfortable with. So we have standards of care that we have to meet as nurses in providing essential care to patients. And when we're not able to meet those standards, there's a growing phenomenon of what we're calling moral distress that the nurses experience in their inability to provide essential needs for patients, even turning. I mean, the COVID patients are very, very sick, but even the patients who delayed care throughout the COVID are coming in now more sick than normal. So now we have a double whammy, so to speak, throw on top of that additional surges and you can begin to see the wear and tear on the frontline staff. Right. Just to unpack a bit of what you've said there, that you have not only COVID raging, but you also have people who, because of their fears of the virus early in the pandemic, did not necessarily go to the doctor's office or the hospital, and so who are coming in with other ailments and may be sicker than they otherwise might have been. Uh, You said 53% of nurses in Colorado are considering leaving the profession because of the pandemic. Is that immediate? Is that in the next few years? And how would that compare to normal turnover? That's a really good question. And um, so I spent many years in nursing and hospital administration and and a typical turnover at a hospital, um, this would have been maybe 15 years ago, would be maybe 5%. So that using that as a baseline, um, the I talk with nurses literally every day and we have an ongoing survey where nurses are resigning every day. And, and it's, it's important to really note here that the, the strategy being implemented by many employers right now is to really look to the new graduate nurse as a solution which sounds like a brilliant idea, except that they're coming into work environments where all of the experience, most of the experienced nurses have retired or left the workforce. So you have new graduates teaching new graduates. Hmm. And in the literature, it suggests a good five years before a nurse in critical care really achieves a critical decision-making level. It's one thing to do Uh, basic care, but it's a whole nother thing to do oral care with someone who's on a ventilator, as an example, or proning that has to occur with COVID. That's more than just turning from side to side. It's a very complicated, requires four people to do. This is a question not only of numbers, but also of the experience of the nursing corps. Laura, do you think that this would be a, a better situation if more people were vaccinated? I do. 
I do. I, I absolutely do. Um, I respect people's decisions, um, you know, when they, when they have decided to do something for themselves, but this is really affecting the public. It affects everybody. It affects everybody in our community in Colorado and around the world. Um, the majority of people that we are seeing that are hospitalized right now are unvaccinated. I will tell you that um, some of the numbers, uh, for example, if there were 100 patients that were hospitalized, maybe about seven of those would be vaccinated. Um, if you look at our ventilated patients, oftentimes um, they are all unvaccinated. And if you've had a vaccine, you're generally um, not needing uh, something as severe uh, as a ventilator. Um, I think people, what people don't understand about the vaccine is that um, they believe completely that it, it, it doesn't work because people are still getting COVID despite the fact that they are vaccinated. And really what the, the point is that needs to be hammered across is that um, it actually, you can still get COVID when you're vaccinated, but you are way less likely to be severely ill or to die or to even be hospitalized from the disease. So something to keep in mind as you mull over that vaccine, the effect that you're having on the healthcare workforce in addition to your own health. I want to talk about the fact that this is not just about nursing in hospitals. Colleen, where else is the need for nurses going unmet? Great question. So the uh, shortages as uh, have been reported and as we have good data on uh, range from long-term care Certainly inpatient, uh, we have shortages in school nurses, um, we have shortages in public health nursing, we have shortages in correctional care and forensic care nursing. There, I don't know of a clinical practice right now that is, um, has sufficient nursing staff. Is it too pat to say this is all because of the pandemic? Are there underlying systemic issues in nursing that are also contributing to this? This is calling it. I would definitely say there are underlying long-term systemic issues. Uh, nurse staffing is always controversial in any work environment. It, we are a labor-intensive uh, resource by definition because we are at the patient or family's side in times of very difficult physiological and emotional stress, and that takes time, and it requires funding for that kind of time. And I think the pandemic has highlighted that we really have to rethink priority funding for care delivery. Uh, translate that for me. Priority funding for care delivery. What does that mean in everyday terms? So when you look at a budget for a um, healthcare delivery system, uh, nursing typically falls within room charges um, if you use the hospital as an, as an example or even long-term care. And we have to unbundle that so that we are funding nursing care separate and importantly, have it rise to the level of capital expenditures. Nursing is as important as new buildings because a bed or a room, a patient room without a nurse is simply furniture in space. 
We talked in the first segment about the idea that older nurses are retiring and that it's younger nurses coming on board who are being asked to rise to the occasion in these very trying circumstances. Laura, I know that you also do nursing education. How is the pipeline right now? Uh, Are there people simply dissuaded from even getting into nursing school because of the pandemic and what it has showed about this profession? Yeah, um, we're seeing actually a couple of different uh, phenomenon. Um, We have seen some decrease in enrollment um, during this time, but yet in some of our programs, um, surprisingly, we actually have seen an increase um, in applications, for example, our public health areas. Hmm. Uh, And so we we are seeing people um, that are still interested in becoming nurses, um, and so I think that's extremely uh, encouraging. But yes, there is um, a, a trend um, in some areas of a, uh, a decrease in enrollment, and that can be due to multiple multiple things. It could be due to um, cost uh, of tuition. Um, it could be due to life circumstances right now during the pandemic. So it may not be that they are not interested in going into the nursing workforce, but maybe it's not the right time for them um, because of uh, underlying circumstances. And I should say that you know staffing shortages are an issue in many sectors right now. Um, In healthcare, there are doctor shortages in some cases and a lack of other hospital workers. Uh, I also think of hospitality workers. We're seeing uh, shortages there. So this is true uh, of the broader economy as well. Uh, Let's talk about how hospitals are trying to fill the gaps. So there's that reliance on younger nurses, less experienced nurses. What else are you seeing Colleen, in terms of uh, people getting creative in this environment? Yeah, that's another good question. I think probably the most uh, consistent example is a very strong orientation towards team-based care. So um, we've talked and uh, discussed and academically attempted to prepare providers to be an interdisciplinary team. And the, the one of the silver linings of the pandemic has been that we have been forced to rely on each other from physicians to nurses to respiratory therapy, environmental services, certified nursing assistants. So a much more aggressive um, effort to bring uh, the disciplines together at the bedside so that you're optimizing each person's role and scope to the greatest degree. Does that mean that everyone, to some extent, is pitching in in ways they might not have before? Is that what I hear you saying? Exactly. Well said. Okay. Is that sustainable? Well, from what I understand, you know, I think you were talking about um, pipelines and all of that earlier. The, The Colorado economy is playing another big role, particularly in the ancillary staff such as environmental services or housekeeping staff, dietary and food service staff, certified nurse assistants. It's very hard for them to survive, let alone thrive, in Colorado right now with the cost of living and the wages that they uh, receive. And it's much actually easier for them, as as self-reported, the certified nursing assistants, it's easier for them to work at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's because the pay in many cases is actually higher and it's much less riskier. 
I, I do want to talk about nurses' emotional lives right now. Uh, you hinted at this at the beginning of the conversation, but Laura, we're in a condition where family, for instance, does not have universal access to patients that are in the hospital because of COVID, because of those restrictions. Is it just less satisfying in some ways to be a nurse right now? I mean, one, given all of the demands on you, the time you might be able to spend or the lack thereof with each patient, and, uh, you know, that reduced interaction with family. Um, Just speak to that for me, Laura. It is. uh, And that is the uh, exact word that I've been using, which uh, when you say, is it satisfying? And I say, it's unsatisfying. Um, No one wants to to, uh, enter a profession and go into work every day knowing that um, they are doing their best and sometimes um, people aren't getting better. Um, We're seeing a lot of that with COVID. Um, you do everything that you can. Um, and again, it's, uh, you're, you're fighting a battle um, and you're not interacting with patients and families in a normal way. And some of the most difficult, um, I've been a nurse for 20 years and some of the most difficult conversations I have ever had have been within this last year where I am, you know, fully gowned um, with essentially a gas mask on my face. And I'm trying to have a conversation on a an iPhone between a, a patient that I'm standing next to in a room who's very ill and their loved one at home. And this could be the last conversation that they have. And that is, it has been trying, it has been difficult, um, and it is, it's unsatisfying. Nobody wants to go into work and be yelled at, to be accused of, of lying about diagnoses or about the existence of a virus. Um, it, it's truly, truly uh, disappointing, and, and it is um, unsatisfying. I want to note that the state has just reactivated a center to help hospitals and nursing homes deal with these COVID-19-related staffing shortages. It takes requests for staffing help where shortages are affecting patient care. Is that meaningful, Colleen? I do think so, Ryan. I think that... Um, It gives notice to nurses statewide who may be pondering a way to try to help and not knowing how to do that. Um, One of the kind of mismatches, however, is that oftentimes the needs are far greater than one or two individuals can meet. And so how do we create flexibility in the workplace so that folks can come in on you know, maybe less than a 12-hour shift, as an example, Hmm. and be able to fulfill some essential duties without being a full staffer. Uh, One more example, I suppose, of getting creative. Um, Laura, what do colleagues leaving the profession tell you? They're burned out. They're tired. Um, They can make larger amounts of money in a different uh, area. Um, It's sad um, and it's hard and they uh, are traumatized. Um, It has been uh, a very, very difficult uh, year and a half going going on more. Um, And I think there's there's some that uh, just don't know if there's ever going to be a a reasonable end um, in the future. Are there nurses coming in from out of state in any meaningful way, Colleen? 
Yeah, I spoke with a nurse uh, late last week, and she works at a facility where there were eight traveler nurses who, uh, whose terms all ended around in the same week. And so eight experienced critical care and step-down care RNs left Colorado to go back to their respective homes, and they were replaced with uh, new graduates. So that's a pretty big... Um, additional stress on the existing staff who are already overwhelmed with their own patient load. Now they're orienting and developing new graduates who, you know, I might add the last year and a half, much of their education has been simulated because they weren't able to get into clinical areas. Hmm. So we have to create systems of support for these new graduates or we will lose them. And then our long-term problems become even greater. Laura, what do you tell people who hear that pay is part of this and think healthcare is already so expensive? I feel for nurses, but I also feel for my bottom line if I get sick. Right. I it's very hard to put a value on nursing care. It's it's very hard to put a value on on the life of a of a patient. Um and that does come with expense. Um, I, you know, I think that we often talk about throwing money at the problem, but I, I really also believe it's, um, you know, nurses are actually scared for their licenses. Um, and so they're not necessarily leaving because, um, you know, they're not making enough money or they feel like they're not getting enough money. That could be a reason, but many of them are scared that because of the conditions that they're working in, something bad is going to happen, a poor outcome, and they are going to get punished and they're going to lose their oh, license. Wow. Um, so I think it's really a, a lot more than that. There's, there's fear involved. I'm grateful to understand that. Uh, it's not something I had grasped going into this. Laura, thank you so much for being with us, Colleen. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Laura Rosenthal, a nurse in Metro Denver and incoming president of the Colorado Nurses Association. She also teaches nursing students. Colleen Casper is also a nurse and the association's executive director. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Members help make great radio happen. If you want the facts and good music, if you want something unique that shows you support CPR, Donate, then choose one of the new thank you gifts at CPR.org. Further evidence now of the legacy Dr. Charles Blackwood left in Colorado. As we told you last week, he was the first African-American to graduate from the University of Colorado Medical School. His experience was a little different as a, a Black student. He had to sit in different places in the study halls, and he also had to monitor where he lived in the community. That was our guest, Dr. Terry Richardson, who helped create an endowed scholarship at CU in Dr. Blackwood's name. Well, listening to our conversation was this woman. My name is Shirley Harris. I live in Lakewood, but I've lived in the Denver metropolitan area for almost 60 years. I knew the Blackwoods, and everything I heard rang a bell for me. Harris got in touch with us after the interview and shared her connection to Dr. Blackwood. I met him because a woman that he lived with as a boarder when he was a medical student at 2555 Downing Street. Her name was Myrtle Moore, 
and she adopted him, and he adopted her. My brother later moved into the same apartment. That is Dr. Blackwood's former apartment, and it meant Shirley Harris developed a friendship with the doctor, his wife Vivian, they discovered they were both from Virginia, and the Blackwood son Charles. The Blackwoods eventually purchased a home at 2436 Gaylord in Denver's Whittier neighborhood. As we reported, that house was recently demolished. News that saddened Harris, who pointed out that even with his address, Dr. Blackwood blazed a trail. This is a time when very few blacks lived east of York Street, although it was beginning to populate about the time I came here. That's in the early 1960s, she says. The voice of Shirley Harris demonstrating what a small world we live in and what a large impact Dr. Charles Blackwood made in it. In 1947, he became the first black graduate of the University of Colorado Medical School. When Denver muralist Charlo set out to find a blank wall to paint, he didn't know he'd end up being the talk of the nation. He's been named a Disney magic maker in a project with Next Door. It recognizes people who bring joy to their communities. I first noticed Charlo's work in July. During lockdown, Charlo was looking for a way to make art and share it without having to be in close quarters. I have always wanted to do a mural. So I made a post on Nextdoor, and I was literally asking for a neighbor who was willing to donate a wall. Uh, one person came to the front and was like, hey, I have a garage store. Like, he's black. Do you want to just do that? I was like, absolutely. So Charlo painted one garage door, and word spread. So he did another. And another. More than 20 so far. And you call this Make Alleyways Great Again, right? Yeah, Make Alleys Great Again is the same, but I, I, I like the sound of the shorter way of saying alleys. Alleys. Uh, but yeah, so it's like a M.A. MAGA kind of trying to take a little bit of that uh, meaning away from it and give it a new one. His pieces resemble the works of Keith Haring with bold black and white pop art lines a canvas jam-packed with shapes and optimistic-looking figures. Charlo tells me he admires Herring and appreciates the comparison. He says, like Herring, he's an openly gay man. But Charlo's also his own man. So I asked how he'd describe his own work. My work, I would describe it as joyful, full of surprises, very linear, and abundant, I guess. You'll also find words sprinkled into his murals. There's a puzzle quality to them. They might be words that mean something to the owner of the garage door, or words that mean a lot to Charlo himself, and they might be in English or Spanish. One that comes to mind that I, I used recently was alegría. It sounds a lot like allergy. I know like some people confuse that in, in English. Uh, but alegría in Spanish means experiencing joy. And this word I use as the main theme on one of the garage doors I did, I think it was number 21. The family had two kids and were really excited about me being there, creating art, and they were going to be there. So I didn't know the theme of that garage door was going to be Alegria. And I found out as soon as I got there, because the kids came out, they were really happy and they were like saying hi, they were really engaged. And that's when the moment appeared to me like, 
this should be about the alegria of this moment. Some other words that I've used before is gracias, which is another word in Spanish. I include gracias or anything related to gratitude, which is something I relate to my mom as well a lot because she taught me to always be grateful and that that was going to be a way to get far in life. That is Charlo. He was born in Monterrey, Mexico, now lives in Denver, transforming neighborhood garage doors into works of art. He was named a Disney magic maker and appears on an interactive map from next door. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from listener-supported CPR News and KRCC.